Hey, before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick reminder, if you're new here to the Holistic Nootropics podcast, to please just take a quick second and subscribe to the podcast. It takes literally a second to do. Just hit the subscribe button right there in your podcast player. Also, if you want to help us out, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Now, if you're more of a visual person, you like to actually watch the podcast, you can actually do that over on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. Just go to youtube.com, search Holistic Nootropics, You'll see our page pop up. Subscribe to that. Hit the little bell icon so you can get notified every single time new videos drop because we don't just do podcasts over there. We do product reviews. We do all kinds of nootropic and biohacking and holistic health topical videos. So go on over, check us out on the Holistic Nootropics YouTube page. And for all things nootropics, nutrition, and biohacking related, go on over to holisticnootropics.com. Okay, let's jump into the podcast. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name is Eric, and today on the podcast, I have Ben Azadi from the Keto Camp. Ben is the author of four best-selling books, Keto Flex, The Perfect Health Booklet, The Intermittent Fasting Cheat Sheet, and The Power of Sleep. Ben is the founder of Keto Camp, a global brand bringing awareness to ancient healing strategies such as the keto diet and fasting. He's also the host of the Keto Camp podcast, which is one of the hottest podcasts on iTunes. And let's just say maybe a little bit hotter because I was just on it. And the fastest growing Keto Camp YouTube channel with over 130,000 subscribers and TikTok channel with over 145,000 subscribers. Ben, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics podcast. Eric, great to be with you. We just had an awesome recording for my podcast and now we're doing a back-to-back and it's going to be awesome. Back-to-back. The people don't even know how hard we're hustling in these streets, my friend. Cool. Well, we're going to jump into the podcast in just a second. But first, I want to remind you, if you are new to the Holistic Nootropics podcast, then please take a second and subscribe. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that little subscribe button with the little bell icon notification next to it so you can get notified every single time we release a new video. If you're listening to this on your podcast player, then hit the little podcast subscribe button in the player. You know how technology works. You've done this before. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get notified every single time we release a new one. If you enjoy the podcast, leave a review over on Apple iTunes because it helps us grow the podcast, get some more exposure, bring on big name guests like our man Ben here from the Keto Camp. So Ben, let's jump into it. You have a very cool uh, brand, uh, online identity, the Keto Camp. You're very entrenched in this keto world, which I uh, I find interesting. I don't know if I've even had another keto um, person on here. So you might be the first person talking about this keto propaganda on the Holistic Nootropics podcast. <laughs> cool. So I would love to know your superhero story. How did you get, what brought you to this point of uh, not just this specific um, diet and lifestyle, but really the holistic health and wellness space in general? Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. And, and for that introduction was awesome. You go subscribe and, and leave the show a rating and review. It really does help the show grow. I agree with Eric on that. So for me, uh, we both have similar backgrounds in terms of hitting rock bottom. My, my rock bottom was, of course, being born in America. So following a standard American diet, super toxic. And I was obese uh, as a kid. And I had a lot of physical issues, mental issues, uh, addictive issues, sugar, alcohol, video games, drugs, uh, toxic environment, left to my own devices growing up. And I really hung out with the wrong crowd. So I had bad behaviors and these behaviors turned into a very unhealthy lifestyle. And I found myself back in 2008, being a 24 year old man who was 250 pounds, physically obese, but also mentally obese and mentally bankrupt. I was suicidal, looking on the internet for ways to end my life, hurting all the time, never studied health and nutrition, working at a nine to five job that I hated. And I was broken, broken. And I had to figure things out. and one option was taking my life and I explored that option several times, but every time I did, I kept thinking about my mom and what she would have to deal with if I took my life. So it stopped me. The second option was getting my act together and taking responsibility. And, and I, and I chose that option. The reason I headed down the path of responsibility was honestly because of books. I started to read books from amazing authors, Dr. Wayne Dyer, 
Bob Proctor, uh, Lisa Nichols, Earl Nightingale, Jim Rohn. I mean, all these incredible authors. I just fell in love with their message and it helped me take responsibility, which is something every single human needs to do because that word responsibility is your ability to respond to life. How are you responding to life right now? When I was 24 years old, my ability to respond to life was really poor. I was the victim of my genetics, the victim of my enabling family members and friends and the peer pressure. And I was just blaming everybody, but the books actually helped me take ownership. And the second that I took ownership, I became the victor of my destiny, no longer the victim of my history, put my foot down, took action. And nine months later, I lost 80 pounds, went from 34% body fat down to 6% body fat, size 38 waist to size 30. And I finally carved out a physical six pack. But the most important thing that I achieved was a mental six pack. I started to think better thoughts and I start to understand how important that mental health is like you teach Eric. And it took me down a path of focusing on holistic health. I became certified as a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. Um, I also became a personal trainer. I opened up a CrossFit gym, sold the CrossFit gym. And then I became um, acquainted with my mentor, Dr. Daniel Pampa. And I'm grateful to work with him and my other colleague, Dr. Mindy Pels. And we have a team of doctors that we work with. And now I'm really entrenched into the health industry. And uh, the goal here of the company, our mission, Aikido Camp, is to educate and to inspire a billion people, to help 1 billion people, help, help them understand how incredible their body is as long as they follow three rules. And those three rules are number one, identify the interference. Number two, work on removing the interference. And number three, allow your body to heal. So we're going to have a conversation today on how to do that, but that's the goal. And we use ancient healing strategies like ketosis and fasting and other things to help accomplish that mission. That's so interesting. And thank you so much for sharing that. And, um, Man, you know, the stories of when people think about killing themselves, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, but that just that hits me in such a such a different way. Um, you know, I've, I've never experienced that even in my lowest of lows. And um, but I know a lot of people who, you know, who have been down that road. I know some people who have lost that battle. Um, and it, it's so true, man, like you can't as bad as it is to say, it's like, you can't really ever know how much you want to live until you feel like you want to die. And this is where so much of, and I'm not encouraging anybody to get to that point, but it's so interesting that, that it took you to the place where you're at now, which is success and and health and vitality. Um, you know, it sounds like you really rebounded so hard, um, which is good. You know, you, you brought, all that energy from negative to positive, but along that way, you know, where was it that, that keto came in and how did that specifically help you in your situation? Keto didn't come in until 2013, 2014. So when I lost the weight, it was an important lesson. And I think this is an important lesson for everybody. Just because you lost weight doesn't mean you're healthy. I was one of those fit, sick people who had, I had six pack abs, but I had digestive issues. I had skin issues. I had brain fog. So I was still exploring what exactly health felt like and looked like. So like you, Eric, I know you were a vegan. Um, I was a vegan too for a year and a half, 100% plant-based vegan back in 2012 after I read the China study, which yeah. <laughs> that, that happened to you as well. The China study got you? That It's not what got me. It's what uh, confirmed my confirmation bias. Ah, uh, got it. It was a, it was yeah. a Russell Simmons book, actually. Because mm. Russell Simmons is a vegan and he wrote a book all about why everyone should be vegan. And I was like, well, if Russell Simmons can do it, I can do <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So I'm like you, I got, I got duped into the veganism. So, you know, in the beginning I felt better actually, it was just like you. But then after some time, uh, those results went away three months into it, but I was dogmatic about it. Like you said on my podcast, the first rule of being a vegan is tell everybody that you're a vegan. Imagine this, I was not only a vegan, but I was the owner of a CrossFit gym. So I was a CrossFitter. The same rule for the CrossFitters is tell everybody to do CrossFit, oh, tell everybody to do veganism. So you, can you imagine a vegan CrossFitter, dude? <laughs> you were the worst, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> People hated to be around me back then. Um, so anyways, I learned a lesson because I was dogmatic about it. 15 months into being a vegan, I realized, okay, this is not working for me. I need to explore something else. I put my, I, I trapped myself into this box that I want to get out of. So I started to research cellular health and I got into the information to this the research of ketones and the ketogenic diet, if you want to call it that, and so intermittent fasting. And I started to study a little bit about our ancestors and what they did. I don't think we should do everything our ancestors did, but I do want to see 
how our cells work based off of the way that, you know, our ancestors lived. And it turns out our, our cells are hardwired to go through periods of time where we're in ketosis and out of ketosis and intermittent fasting. So these are called ancient healing strategies. So I started to get really impressed with keto and fasting. And I decided to transition as a vegan to a ketogenic approach. And it really transformed my health. I, I really started to feel what, what true cellular health felt like. And that was 2013. I've learned a lot of things along the way. Although my company is Keto Camp and I've written books about keto, I don't think we should be in ketosis long-term. I think it's one tool that you need to learn how to use, but it's not the only tool. But I love the way it makes you feel. And I think everybody should experience ketosis and it's a great way to get the brain some uh, a great energy source, but we shouldn't stay in it long-term. So the way that I view keto is one tool, but if you use it the right way, it could be a very powerful tool. And when you talk about ketosis, you know, for you, when you really discovered like its power, what was it that you, like got you to ketosis or like, if, was it the official level of ketosis or had you just fasted for a while and you said, well, this must be ketosis. Were you tracking things? Um, did you do it through fasting? Did you do it through just a strict, no carbohydrate diet? How did you do it? When I first did it, I did it through restricting my carbohydrates. Uh, I dropped it below like 30 grams in the beginning. And then shortly thereafter, I paired it with intermittent fasting. So they're a combination of both. How did I quantify I was in ketosis? I did buy the strips back then where if you messed up on a, on a strip, it was like seven bucks down the drain because they were so expensive yeah. back then. Now they're a lot cheaper. So I was looking at my ketone strips. And even, even back then, the way that I started keto is not the same way I would teach it because I stayed in ketosis for like six or eight months, I forget, but it was too long staying in there. And I started to kind of bonk with my workouts and not feel good, but there are several ways to get into ketosis. The way that I teach it now is a gradual approach of decreasing your carbs, increasing your healthy fat and protein, and then, you know, testing of course, to, to verify that you're there. So that's the way that I would teach it now. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's something I did want to talk to you about, which was long-term ketosis, because I know some people, you know, for them, keto is the vegan diet. You know, they do get dogmatic yeah. with it and it becomes very much a part of their identity where now you, you can't not be in ketosis, you know? And, uh, and from what I understand, and I, in all transparency, have not done a ton of research on the keto diet. I just kind of know it from really a third thousand foot view, but from what I understand, long-term ketosis does have some detrimental effects with metabolism. It could, uh, decrease your, uh, your insulin sensitivity, uh, you know, can have some funkiness with some, uh, glucose. So, um, yeah. D did you have other than like when you first started, do you, do you kind of go in and out of long bouts of ketosis or, or do you see people with that same problem within the, um, within the keto community? It's a big problem. A lot of people, because they, they do keto and they start to get these benefits, which is terrific and they fall in love with it, but then they, they stay there too long. And there's something called hormesis, which is a stress that you apply to the body that gets you the body to adapt and gets you a positive outcome. For example, exercise is, is hormesis. When you start to exercise, it's painful. It's a stress to the body, but the body adapts and gets stronger. Now, what would happen if you did the same workout routine every single week, week after week, month after month, all of a sudden the benefits go away and you actually could have see even uh, diminishing returns and even hurt yourself. You want to keep changing things up. It's very similar to keto. When you get into ketosis, it's a hormetic response. You're getting benefits, same thing with fasting. But if you stay there and don't change things up, you'll begin to lose those results. And a few things could happen. I wrote about it in my book. Um, especially for women, what you could see is a thyroid issue because when we think about insulin, insulin is not the bad guy. I mean, it's a survival mechanism. We wouldn't exist today if we didn't produce insulin. The issue is calling insulin all the time because insulin is the bully of the block. He'll bully your fat burning hormones and all of your other hormones will decrease as insulin increases. So keeping insulin in check is important and you could do that with keto and fasting. But when you have chronically low levels of insulin, that's not good too. Insulin is required to convert inactive thyroid T4 to active T3. Mm -hmm. So if you're in ketosis for too long, that conversion will begin to decrease. And all of a sudden you have hypothyroid issues and that happens more in women than men, but it can still happen in men. So we don't want that. Uh, insulin is also required for women who have a menstrual cycle to have a healthy menstrual cycle, especially the week before the period you need to build progesterone. Insulin helps 
do that. And progesterone keeps estrogen in check. So there's also all these considerations that people who are doing keto long-term are not considering because they fell in love with the initial benefits and then they stay there too long. And all of a sudden they're beginning to hurt themselves essentially. So, and I know you can't give, and this is not medical advice. This is not you prescribing yeah. anything, but in your opinion, you know, and you could, you could segment this into women and men. Um, what is an ideal amount of time for somebody to stay in ketosis or at least follow a keto type diet? It's a great question. And I'm sure somebody listening or watching is thinking the same thing. And for most people, it's eight to 12 weeks. And the reason I say that is because there's a big difference between getting fat adapted, which I'm going to unpack shortly, fat adapted and keto adapted. They're not the same thing. So fat adaptation means this. Out of the 70 trillion cells in your body, your cells could only choose two sources for energy. Either their cells are burning glucose, sugar, or fat ketones. That's it. Most people who are stuck as sugar burners, like I was when I was obese, highly inflammatory. It creates a lot of uh, reactive oxygen species, a lot of inflammation, if you will, because cells produce energy and create toxins similar to burning firewood in my room here. When you're burning sugar, it creates a lot of toxins. So I always compare a cell that's being stuck as a sugar burner cell to a Mack truck with all this smoke coming out of the exhaust pipe. That truck's not healthy for the <laughs> surrounding environment. When you could teach the cells to burn fat and use ketones, that's like a Tesla, a cleaner source of energy versus the truck. So when you get into ketosis and you're fat adapted, that takes about seven to 14 days. I could get most people there in seven to 14 days. You can verify that by checking your ketones. That's called being fat adapted. You're burning fat instead of sugar. Now, the goal though, is for everybody to experience keto adaptation. That takes typically on average eight to 12 weeks of being in ketosis. Keto adaptation means your brain and your mitochondria now prefer ketones as the energy source. So you enhance your results. It's like a nootropic, if you will. You just feel really on top of your game. I call it the great land of ketosis. So I want everybody to experience that. After you get keto adapted eight to 12 weeks, then you practice what I call keto flexing, which I talk about in the book. But how you practice keto flexing is going to be different for your goals, if you're a woman who has a menstrual cycle versus a postmenopausal woman, or if you're very athletic. But in general, to answer your question, Eric, it is eight to 12 weeks and then you start flexing. Interesting. And when you're flexing, uh, you know, are you doing that for an amount of time and then going back into like a keto adaptation mode for another eight to 12 weeks? No, you're not. That's a good question. You're, you're going back into a fat adaptation mode. So let's say you decide to flex once per week. Well, you'll choose like a Saturday or a Sunday, whatever day you want. You have a high carb day. You're not going to do much fasting. You're intentionally getting insulin up to make those hormonal conversions. And then you go right back into ketosis for the rest of the week. That's what we want. That's metabolic flexibility and freedom. That's the mm -hmm. goal. Not necessarily to be in ketosis all the time, but just to have this metabolic flexibility. Yeah. And I love that metabolic flexibility idea because you know, basically what you're doing is you're saying, Hey, we're going to, you're going to teach your body how to operate off of this fuel source that it knows how to do. You know, it, to me, it's like, uh, this might be a terrible comparison, but like a woman who gets pregnant, right? Like for the first time, she's never been pregnant before. She's not, her body has never experienced like these levels of hormones, but somehow like there's this ancient mechanism in a woman's body that knows like when the sperm meets the egg and it's the right time and it makes it all the way into the uh, area. You can tell how much I know about the woman's body uh, <laughs> and it goes into the right area. Now we flick it on this thing that's never happened before in a woman's body. And it just flourishes and makes a person and then gives birth successfully to the person. Um, the same thing I think is true of, uh, of like a, like you talk about a keto adaptation where your body knows how to do this. Your body did this, you know, um, you know, millions of years ago, it did it really all up until the last hundred to 150 years. So it's there. You just have to tap into it and make it remember how to do it and keep it doing it for long enough so that when you stop doing it, it continues to be able to do it. That's right. Yeah, it's, it's, a, good, it's a good analogy, actually. Yeah, I agree. We have in this modern society, a keto deficiency. We're designed to utilize ketosis. Every single one of our ancestors did keto. That's a fact. Keto is not a fad. It's a fact. Although it's not new, it's just more nuanced. So what I say is that keto technically is not a diet. It's a metabolic process. It's not going away anywhere because as long as humans exist, ketosis will exist. So what we want to do is just tap into it 
but have such a, a metabolic machinery built up that you can go in and out. So for me personally, I would say 80% of the time in general, I am in ketosis and then I give myself 20% to get out. I've done the work to achieve that metabolic flexibility. But in the beginning, you do want to be disciplined and get you get yourself to that keto adaptation point. And when someone's like working on their fat ad- adaptation, their keto adaptation, I would imagine, you know, it's, it's hard to say like, who is the person who's coming into this? Where are they coming from? I'm sure that's different. You know, maybe you have somebody coming from a standard American diet. Maybe you have somebody coming from a vegan diet, somebody who's like been eating quote unquote, like a healthy way, but now they just want to get into this keto place. What are you doing with somebody to get them there? You know, is it just carb restriction or are you also using, um, like, uh, ketone esters? Are you using, uh, any supplements? Are you using, um, glucose disposal agents? Like, how are you helping somebody get to that point of fat adaptation then essentially, uh, and then eventually keto adaptation? There's a bold claim that I've been making and I, I could back it up. So I could take a hundred people who are, following a standard American diet, let's just say they're a sugar burner. I could take a hundred sugar burners and I could get 98 of them. So 98 out of a hundred people in ketosis. So getting fat adapted within seven days without any side effects with two simple steps. And I'm going to share those two simple steps right now. Number one is to gradually decrease your carbs by 20% each day. So of course you need to track to see how many carbs you're having right now before you change anything. And if you're a regular standard American, you're having 300 to 400 grams of carbs per day. So day one, take your, let's say it's 300 grams of carbs per day. Take that to 350 on day one, day two down to 300. Eventually what you want to do is keep doing that until you get to under 50 total grams of carbs for the day. The carbs that you're eating should come from green leafy vegetables, non-starchy carbs. That's the first step. Second step, at the same time, you want to follow with something called the 2222 rule. My mentor, Dr. Pampa, came up with this rule and I wrote about it in my book. Here's what the rule entails. Every single day, you want to follow this rule. The first two is two tablespoons of olive oil or avocado oil. The second two is two tablespoons of coconut oil or MCT oil. The third two is two tablespoons of grass fed butter or grass fed ghee. And the final two is two teaspoons of sea salt. Now, what that's going to do, this two-step, tri- uh, um, two-step, uh, one-two punch, I should say, the decrease in fat is going to help your body start tapping into its own fat stores, but not in a cold turkey approach where you feel like crap. But by increasing these healthy, stable fats, it's going to now teach your body, look, yes, you're decreasing glucose and carbs, but now you have all this dietary healthy fat around, go burn that. And then by increasing your sea salt, you're able to replenish the electrolytes that are lost as you drop insulin. Cause that's, a, that's what the keto flu really is. It's carbohydrate withdrawal symptoms from the electrolyte dumping. So you do that. And I would say 98 out of hundred people in seven days, you'll get into ketosis without one side effect. And when you, and maybe I misunderstood, like when you specifically say like the two, two, two thing, are you doing those? Like, I'm just taking a tablespoon of olive oil, like at the beginning of the day, or is that like you want to include a tablespoon of olive oil at some point in your day? It's the latter. It's, it's throughout the whole day. So okay. think about like your salad dressings and the oils you're cooking your meats with and the dips and all that. It's, it's throughout the whole day. You don't do it like in a, a one sitting. Interesting. I like that approach because you're right. Like the keto flu is real and the electrolyte imbalances are real. Um, and you, I get them on the, I, I, I don't say I, I do a paleo diet. I do like a paleo ish diet. Um, I am lowish carb. I'm not, I've never been keto. Um, but I do like avoid like a lot of carbohydrate intake just naturally. I think when you kind of like get off of the standard American diet and you let go of like snacking and then you accept fat and protein into your life as like, it's not going to kill you. Uh, you can just naturally start to get off of carbohydrates. Um, but I do notice that the electrolyte imbalances do come because, uh, for whatever reason, maybe, maybe it is, I don't know, uh, carb dumping or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, those, those electrolyte imbalances are real for a lot of people doing these diets. It's important when you, when you have an electrolyte depletion, uh, I just interviewed Rob Wolf on my podcast a few weeks ago. He says, it's like being hung over you feel like crap. Uh, and when you're eating high carb, like a lot of people are, 
you are spiking insulin a lot, which causes you to retain a lot of water. So you feel bloated and look bloated. But when you go paleo or even keto, of course, you're dropping your carbs. So you look lighter and feel lighter because you release all this stored water weight. But the kidneys release all these electrolytes. And when that happens fast, like if you do cold turkey keto, keto flu, boom, and you feel wiped out, you have, you just feel awful. But by making sure you're really diligent with getting the sea salt in, you could probably even supplement, like I know you're a fan of, of a high quality uh, mineral supplement or electrolyte powder. That's going to be very important, especially if you're active, even more important. Yeah. I, uh, I've been uh, using Celtic sea salt recently mm-hmm. and, um, really ever since I've started using that specific sea salt, actually, uh, I haven't had, uh, cause I was for a little while, um, especially after I got COVID, this was really weird. I started having these crazy cramps, uh, like in my, in my stomach, this was the weirdest thing. Just, just these wild cramps, never got them before. Um, I'd get them in my foot, get them in my calf, didn't never have a real big problem with that. But ever since I started using the Celtic sea salt, um, that stuff is legit. Uh, that seems to be helping a lot. It works. Yeah, it does work. I love that. Yeah. So, um, I think it's so cool. You've written four books, um, you know, and one of those books is about sleep. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, sleep and where that fits into, you know, not just your protocol, but like really the overall, where, where you see it really fitting into the overall health paradigm that you believe in? Yeah. And you mentioned on my podcast, the importance of sleep, and I couldn't agree more. Um, when we think about the fundamentals of getting healthy, sleep's right there. It's the, it's the foundation. And if you're doing keto or paleo or veganism and doing CrossFit and doing, taking all the supplements in the world, but your sleep is crap, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get healthy. You're not going to get the results you want. Your, your health will fall apart wall by wall. But if you focus on sleep and prioritize quality sleep, not just quantity, but quality sleep, you're building a strong foundation and then everything else you're doing will upgrade. And you kind of mentioned that on my podcast. So sleep is when your body is repairing, detoxifying. Of course, there's different stages of sleep. There is REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement where you're taking short-term memory and processing it for long-term memory. It's great for mental clarity and just feeling really good cognitively. Then you have deep sleep, which is also important. Deep sleep is when your most of your fat-burning hormones are actually activated during deep delta sleep. So you're burning fat, your brain is shrinking in size, and you have this fluid called the cerebral spinal fluid that goes over the brain and starts flushing out toxins via the glymphatic system. So your body's so amazing. It's doing all these things and you're just, you know, dreaming and sleeping. We want to get, I would say most people need to get about two hours of deep sleep and about two hours of REM sleep each night. And if you're not tracking it, like the aura ring or some sort of other device, you might say, yeah, I was in bed for eight hours, but did you get those markers? Did you get the two hours of, of each? And if, if you're looking at that, you can work on improving it. So when you get quality sleep, uh, you're going to feel so much better. You're just going to function much better. When you're not getting quality sleep, numerous studies show the following morning of just one poor night of sleep, you're going to have higher levels of cortisol, which is the stress hormone. What follows cortisol is glucose. So you'll have higher blood sugars. Insulin follows glucose. And if you want to do keto, when that goes up, ketones go down. So you can get knocked out of ketosis just by one night of crappy sleep. Personally, nothing affects me more than poor sleep. I could eat like crap. I could sit on my butt all day. Um, but if I had one poor night of sleep, that will impact me more than anything else. So I, I recommend everybody prioritize getting quality sleep. There's so many things you can do but focus on your sleep. And if you could track it even better to make sure you're hitting those numbers. So this is so wild because, um, I use this device. I don't know if you ever heard of it. It's called the Lumen metabolism, uh, tracker. I I have heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. It's, it's like a, a breath breathalyzer type device. You blow on it. Um, and it gives you a reading, uh, real intuitive, like, uh, user experience design on the phone where it's just like a one through five reading one being like, you're a super fat burner, five being like, you're only burning, uh, carbs and then everything in the middle. And then depending on that, they give you like a, um, kind of a nutrition plan, which, uh, is pretty legit. Um, but you know, I use that every morning when I wake up. And the nights where, and I wear the aura ring. So I know like what is going on with my deep sleep, my REM sleep, all that stuff. The nights where my sleep is the most erratic and the worst, my I'm hitting fives, fours and fives, Mm. you know? Uh, And then the nights where my deep sleep is like 
much better. Uh, I'm down between the one and three section. And this was where I started to put together this idea of sleep and metabolism, sleep and metabolism. Like, and like you said, you know, like you could eat like crap, you could sit on your butt all day. Um, like last night, for instance, I had, uh, you know, here in Puerto Rico, we have this, uh, thing called breadfruit. And, um, it's like, think of like a potato, but like bigger and, uh, it's kind of a potato-y starchy thing. Um, very high carb, very not keto, but, uh, they're delicious. And I cook them in the air fryer and they're crispy and they're like little fries, uh, very starchy. I went to bed, got a lot of deep sleep, woke up. I mean, I blew like a two this morning only because of my sleep had nothing to do with like the carbohydrates. So it's, it's pretty amazing. The impact on metabolism that sleep alone has. And I mean, I have countless examples of like this, of like even like a high carb dinner or even like drinking a little bit the night before and just getting like amazing deep sleep or REM sleep, waking up the next morning and having very good uh, scores on the lumen. It makes sense. I love that you tested that too, because you're right. And then you could also see that if you're doing keto and checking your glucose and ketones the next morning, you're going to see higher glucose and lower ketones. If you had a poor night of sleep, that's a fact. Uh, And I interviewed Terry Youngblood from, from Chili Pad Technologies. They have Chili Sleep, which is a great Mm -hmm. thing that I use. Uh, And she said, uh, according to the CDC, two weeks of inadequate sleep is the same as being intoxicated by alcohol. Yeah. Right. And it's just so detrimental to your body. We, we need to prioritize it. I know me and you are, we're entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs tend to have that, you know, thought process of like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I want to hustle and grind. I got news for you. If that's your mindset, you're going to get there faster rather than uh, later. And if you prioritize your sleep, you're going to be more productive in less time during the day. Yeah. So how do you find like, uh, like keto or fasting fits with sleep because isn't there this interaction of, um, you know, like glucose, like these kind of 2am glucose spikes that shoot off cortisol, uh, like the liver, uh, shooting out a little, uh, glucose or whatever spiking cortisol in the middle of the night, um, simply due to, uh, you know, inadequate calories, like later in the night, I know some people like they have to have like a teaspoon of honey or something before they go to bed, just so they can avoid that sort of thing. Like, have you seen that yourself? And like, what do you think of that whole phenomenon? Yeah, I have seen that in the beginning. And when somebody's transitioning from being a sugar burner to a fat burner, so maybe like the first 14, 21 days of doing keto, you might have some sleep disturbances because your body's still making that switch. And like you just said, Eric, you might have a reduction of glucose in the brain middle of the night, cortisol will shoot up and you'll wake up. So having a little bit of some honey could help. Um, of course you don't want to do that long-term, but maybe one teaspoon of raw honey before bed, something else that could help is MCT oil, mm. uh, specifically C8 caprylic acid right before bed to give that brain a ketone source. Maybe exogenous ketones could help. I'm not really big on exogenous ketones, maybe for specific reasons, but I don't like to rely on them. But once you get really familiar with ketosis after a few weeks, your sleep will improve. Um, So I see an improvement overall, but in the beginning, as you make that transition, you might have to put these little things in place so your brain could adapt to it. But once you become metabolically flexible, now your brain will use ketones and you won't have that problem. Interesting. Yeah. You know, that's, that's actually a really good point and uh, probably a really good source to go with is like a little bit of MCT oil before bed, a fat source, a clean source, not going to spike your insulin or anything like that. Um, and keeps you, you know, keeps what you need to keep satiated, satiated. And you know what else you also want to avoid eating before bed. No, we're not talking about the honey or the MCT oil. That's fine. But eating too close to bed, um, something that happens is melatonin, which is your important sleep hormone, antioxidant. It's important for the immune system. Every cell actually makes melatonin in the body, which is interesting. Melatonin shuts down the receptors in the pancreas that actually produces insulin. Here's why this is important. Because when you eat before bed, keto or not, but let's say it's not keto, you're going to get a high glucose spike. And then you go to bed, you're going to fall asleep, right? But now you're you're asleep. Melatonin is being produced by your body at the same time you have glucose up. But now since melatonin is being produced because you're asleep, it'll 
decrease insulin from being produced by the pancreas. So the glucose will shoot up even more. And then all of a sudden, boom, it drops down. You wake up at 2 a.m. and you're wired and tired. So that's one of many reasons why you don't want to eat before bed, especially a high carb meal. Yeah. The, the eating before bed is, uh, it's just so funny. Like, you know, you think about like these old movies, right. Or TV shows, or it's just like talking to people. It's just such like a thing that's just kind of in our just culture, even beyond like the crappy standard American diet, even like for people who, Oh, I just ate something and fell asleep, went to bed, you know? And like, without thinking like, that's not a good thing. You shouldn't do that, you know, for the reasons you just said, which is like, you have these mechanisms in your body that, um, don't give you favorable sleep. And I see this on my aura ring. Even if I eat dinner, like two hours before I go to bed, even like two and a half hour, like it, it feels like for me personally, there is a, like a hard three hour limit where I have to be at least that, um, of eating before I go to bed, light meal or heavy meal. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. That's like one of my biggest health challenges for sure. It is a challenge because it interferes with your day to day. I mean, somebody invites you to dinner at 8 PM. You're like, Oh, that's past my 3 PM three hour cutoff. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm same thing like you, like last night, yesterday, I spoke at a mastermind in Fort Lauderdale and I got home around 7 30 PM and I didn't eat anything yet. I was still fasted. So I ate around 8 PM finished like at 8 30. I wake and I go to bed at 10 o'clock, 9 30, 10. So really close to bed, not common for me, but I woke up this morning and my HRV, my heart rate variability was down 20 points just because of that. And, uh, yeah, so it's not common for me to do that when I can control my schedule, I'll give myself at least three hours, even better five hours. And my HRV gets a, a huge improvement when I do that. Yeah, totally. The HRV takes a hit. And it's so funny, like with the aura ring starting to put together this data of like heart rate lowering later at night and then the hit your recovery takes, uh, you know, like I've been crushing it the last week, uh, as far as my readiness score. Um, you know, for me, it's been, uh, 85, right. 85, 86, 87. They give you a crown for that. For me, that's good. You know? Um, and a lot of it has to do with HRV and heart, but the thing that kills me sometimes is they go, Oh, your heart rate lowered late last night. And then I I hope it's not, I don't believe it's psychosomatic, but it is one of those things where like today I had one of those nights where it it lowered late last night. And then I went to the gym and I mean, I've been crushing it in the gym on these 85 scores today. I just felt like a little bitch. Like I just could not, (laughs) I was like, where are my gains? Like I, I thought I was getting stronger and I could not, I was like literally doing half of what I can. So it, it, it's for real, man. Like it, the aura ring is a powerful tool to see these sorts of things. And then you start putting these things together of like eating late, sleep and metabolism, heart rate, heart rate variability. How do I feel the next day? Yeah, it's, it's a great tool. And, and you know, same thing for me. I, I, I yesterday I said I was going to work out today and then my heart rate tanked and I'm like, I'm just going to do some cardio instead. So I, I changed my routine based off of that. I think if I would have worked out, I would have felt like you and it could have been like, a placebo effect or a nocebo effect part of it, but part of it's giving you data as well. So it's probably not a good idea for me today to do a strength training session and push myself when my HRV dropped 20 points overnight. Now I'm going to change that tonight and go to bed or, or eat earlier. And then if I see an increase in my HRV, then tomorrow I'll go harder with my workout. For sure. So I would love to talk to you about fasting. Um, you know, this is a big topic. Uh, it's just so funny how like how trendy fasting has become in the yeah. last like five years. Um, and you said you like last night, for instance, you didn't eat anything till eight o'clock. So are you a typical like OMAD guy? Um, are you doing longer fasts on the regular? Uh, what is your fasting situation like? Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not an OMAD guy just because I'm already lean and I don't have a lot of you know weight to lose. But yesterday was, I had a busy day. And I, like I said, I was speaking at an event. So I figured I ah, just won't eat anything. Uh, I think fasting is great. I, I, I know that it, I know that it's great. It's a powerful tool, but a chainsaw is a powerful tool as well. And a chainsaw can get you amazing results, but it could hurt you if you don't know how to use it. So you got to know how to use fasting. Fasting is a stress to the body, no doubt. However, when you do it the right way, it could give you a, a positive result from that stress. I love fasting because it's been around forever. It's an ancient healing strategy and it helps. It's one of the best ways to harness this innate intelligence that's within every single one of your cells. And it, it's like survival of the fittest. You have this process called autophagy, which the Greek definition of autophagy literally means eat thyself. 
So when you're not getting food energy, the body thinks we need to get energy from somewhere. So it eats itself. It sounds weird, but it's actually really amazing because it looks for cells that are damaged, the mitochondria that are inflamed, that have expiration dates, similar to the groceries in your fridge that have expiration dates, so do your cells. So autophagy helps help to turn on this process and starts repairing things or even getting rid of a cell altogether. And all of this is happening because you're not eating food. So it's a great way to reset the body. Talk about gut health. And I know you're big on the gut-brain connection because there is a connection there via the vagus nerve. Fasting is one of the best ways to reset your gut and create more diversity in the gut. You don't create diversity in your gut by taking a whole bunch of probiotics. You create it by changing your foods and by stressing the gut via fasting because it takes so much energy and resources and blood flow to digest a meal. A standard American diet meal takes about 14 hours to process. And if you're eating every few hours, it's creating this backlog, it's overwhelming the guts, leading to leaky guts, leading to autoimmune disease. But fasting is a way to kind of reset that gut for the first time and let it recover. So, and I could go on and on about the benefits of fasting, but just those are a few benefits right there. Now, how I use fasting personally, I do like an 18-6 every single day, 18 hours fasted, and I make sure I feast during my six hour window. You got to balance out the fasting with the feasting. You don't just fast, you got to feast. So I have uh, some big meals during my eating window. From time to time, maybe once a year, I'll do a five day water fast to really enhance that autophagy process. Uh, and maybe I'll do a 24 hour fast like a couple of times per month. So that's the way I personally utilize fasting. Interesting, yeah, yeah. The, um, the long fast, what, what is the longest you've ever gone? Five days, five day five water days. fast. Yeah. yeah. And how do you feel about like that fourth day, fifth day? Well, the, those days are actually easier than the first two and a half days. For me, the first two and a half days are the toughest. It's more of like a psychological thing than a physiological thing. But once I get past that day three and beyond, it's, it's much more easier. Yeah, that, that's interesting. I did a seven day uh, water fast one time and uh, I would agree like about the fourth, fifth day, you're kind of in a groove by the seventh day. I was just done. I was like, I can't, this is crazy. I'll never do this again. Um, and it's interesting because like when I was doing that fast, I, I, it was weird. I don't know if I really pushed myself too hard, but I, I felt like I was feeling my liver. I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point, but like, I felt like I felt, I felt cortisol and I felt my liver. Um, and it was, it was a little scary but it was also like, all right, I'm gonna see where this goes, which I don't recommend because uh, it can go in some pretty wild places. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a, a powerful tool. Like I mentioned, so here's what I think happened for you, and what I see. I've done a block fast, and I had a lot of lower back pain. Um, I've had students where I've guided through a block fast like this, and they always mention like neck pain or knee pain or like liver pain, like you. Here's my thought process on this and what's happening here. Now, I don't have any research to back this up, but I think that is your innate intelligence enhancing autophagy, so repairing that area. So if your liver needed extra repairing, you're feeling that liver pain, it's the autophagy happening there. My lower back, I used to have a lot of lower back issues, and then I did this fast, and then all of a sudden I had lower back pain, and I think it was the autophagy healing. So I think it's the innate intelligence just repairing that area. That's so interesting. Yeah, that's, I mean, it could be, it could be anything, right? Like, I don't know if there's any studies that even like look at something like that, you know, because when have we ever just like taken a, a group of people, an experiment group and said, Hey, uh, fast for seven days or five days. Yeah. Like you, you couldn't do that right now. Um, but when you do like an intermittent fast, you say you like to do like an 18, six on the daily basis. Uh, you know, what does your morning look like? What does your night look like when you do like your six hour eating window? Uh, you know, how long before you go to sleep is your last meal? My last meal is usually around 5 30 PM. Uh, I go to sleep around 9 30, 10 PM. There are exceptions like tonight I'm going to dinner at six 30. So I'll probably be done eating by like seven 30. So it's a little bit closer, but if I had to choose five 30 would be the cutoff for me. My morning routine is, is pretty comprehensive. Um, don't look at my phone. I do my gratitude. I do my goals. I take my dog for a walk as the sun is rising. I'm sinking my circadian rhythm. I'm doing affirmations in my head as I'm walking my dog. And then I come back home and I make my, my coffee about an hour, hour and a half after I wake up, listening to an audio book as I make coffee. And then I uh, make coffee for me and my fiance. 
And then we are on the balcony here in my building and we're listening to some audiobooks, drinking the coffee. And then I start my day like two hours after this whole routine. I'll have coffee with a little bit of some butter sometimes and some MCT oil and some sea salt because coffee does act like a diuretic. So you lose some electrolytes. So I like to replenish that with sea salt in my coffee. And I sip that throughout the morning and I don't eat anything typically until 2 or 3 p.m. And then I break the fast then. Interesting. So in your intermittent fasting period, you are, you're drinking coffee, you're incorporating fats into the coffee. So it's not straight water. You have, you have these other elements going. Correct. If you want to maximize your fast, you just do water and salt, but you could still have coffee and fats and it could still work for you as long as it's not raising your glucose. So I recommend everybody test. I've, I've tested even with the CGM and like a keto mojo, having uh, tested my glucose before I have the coffee and fat. And then 30 minutes after I don't see a rise, but if mo- some people do see a rise of five points or more, if you see that, then you're losing some of the autophagy benefits. So it's going to be variable, but if you do want to maximize your fast water and electrolytes only. Excellent. And what, what do you think of uh, like protein in, in the keto diet? Because I know there, there's a lot of controversy with um, you know, the idea of, uh, was it gluconeogenesis and, yeah. you know, eating protein, of course, you're still staying low carb. I mean, this is kind of getting into like the Atkins diet territory and, but you know, the, the protein can break down into glucose, you know, how do you approach that? A few years ago, I would say to limit your protein intake because of the gluconeogenesis, but I've changed my mind since then. Uh, now I believe protein should be the focus, uh, on your keto approach. Maybe not in the first seven to 14 days, because you're doing that two, 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 two rule and getting those fats. But after you're in ketosis, protein should be the focus at all of your meals. Yes, there's gluconeogenesis. However, it's not enough to kick most people out of ketosis. It'll just refill your glycogen stores. And it's estimated according to Dr. Gabrielle Lyons research, if you consume the hundred grams of protein, 60 grams will be converted into glucose. But if you're doing that while you're in ketosis, that'll be used to replenish your glycogen stores. So that's not really an issue. And then if you look at the insulin response from protein, it does spike insulin, but it spikes a phase two insulin response, which is much less than a phase one, like you get from carbohydrates. So that's not an issue as well. What protein could do for you. And when I say protein, animal-based protein, not plant-based, there's a big difference there, but animal-based protein helps to keep you full and satiated. You talked about cholecystokinin on my show. It activates cholecystokinin, it activates leptin, it activates peptide YY. These all signal to you your full stop eating. So I like to have my students prioritize protein and have about 40 to 50 grams of animal-based protein at all of their keto meals, and then just have enough fat so that they're satiated and keep your total carbs below 50 grams if you want to be in ketosis. And we talked a little bit about uh, like, ketone esters and these like yeah, ketone products or whatever. doesn't sound like you're too big of a fan of that stuff. Um, but I'm curious as far as supplements or products, you know, if there's anything that you find works well with a keto type diet, anything from like, you know, an amino acid or a mineral or some kind of vitamin, um, you know, what do you find is an ideal nutrient to be getting alongside your natural keto diet? Anything that's going to support the liver will be beneficial. You know, we talked about bile on my show. Um, that's important because you're going to need to really support that liver. The soccer mom organ, I call the liver because she does everything for us. You, you want to support her because she's going to help you break down the fat, assimilate the fat and also detoxify. So it's two parts here. So um, you could have some bitters. Bitters are terrific. And that's not necessarily yes. a supplement, but yeah, bitters for the liver, arugula, dandelion greens, radicchio, uh, I'm not sure if you pronounce it radicchio. I think it's radicchio. People correct me all the time. Um, dandelion greens, milk thistle, ginger, ginger tea, even coffee could be a bitter. Just make sure it's organic coffee. So get the bitters in, take some liver support if you want. Maybe take, uh, like you mentioned, ox bile if you don't have a gallbladder, castor oil packs, uh, like a PC push, phosphatidylcholine push, uh, that could be beneficial. Coffee enemas, anything you can do to support the liver will help keto and any diet. As a matter of fact, I also like to work on the gut uh, because the gut is so important. Most people have leaky gut. I would say it's over 90% of people have some variation of, of leaky gut. Yeah. So I like ion, ion gut health um, mm-hmm. from Dr. Zach Bush. It's a great way to close those tight junctions, 
magnesium, which I know you take. Uh, I like magnesium and then electrolytes and minerals in general to get those up. Those are staples for keto. Uh, of course, we could go crazy and talk about other things, but I would start right there. Oh, one more, one more. I would get off of the fish oil. If you're taking fish oil, which you probably are and switch either eat the fish or switch to a plant-based omega. I love a product called Pureform from Pure Life Science, which actually gives you the derivatives for your body to make its own EPA and DHA. Mm -hmm. The brain, which everybody says you need EPA and DHA for the brain, it's true, but the brain only needs about 7.2 milligrams of EPA and DHA every single day. It's not a lot. One capsule of fish oil has a thousand milligrams of EPA and DHA, and people are doing multiple grams of it. Not good. All you need is a little bit. So either eat the fish or take something like Pureform to get the plant-based derivative so your body can make its own to support the brain. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, that's all great stuff. Uh, especially the, the bitters. Um, you know, this is such an underutilized, but so low cost, uh, supplement sure. that can make such a huge difference um, you know, in your diet. And we're talking about, we're talking about nutrients and we're talking about nutrition and we're talking about, you know, getting the right fuel for your body. But man, if you cannot get your body to break it down into its constituent parts. Um, and I really believe by using the least amount of like external products as possible, like essentially teaching your body to do the right thing. Um, bitters, it's, it's, it's like the Goldilocks zone, you know, it's like that. It, it's such a good formula. And I, I, I kind of make my own with these herbs I get from uh, mountain rose bitters. Uh, I'm sorry, mountain rose herbals or something like that. Um, I mean, but you can buy like some, uh, there's some great companies out there that make some amazing bitters, but, uh, <clears throat> those digestive enzymes, HCL, you know, like you're talking about a lot of people have yeah. leaky gut. A lot of people also have, um, acid reflux, acid reflux yeah. and GERD and these sorts of problems. So, uh, you know, they have HCL problems. So I also find HCLs also, and, uh, digestive enzymes are two great products to help people incorporate so they can, you know, you're talking about eating a lot of fat, um, eating more protein, uh, give your body some support and getting those items broken down properly so that your body actually takes them and sends them to the places where they got to go. That's what it's about. Yeah. Great addition there with the HCL, especially if you're increasing your animal-based protein, you might need some HCL. So great, great addition. Yeah. Well, Ben, this has been a, a really fun talk, man. I've had a, a blast, you know, chatting with you here and on your podcast. Um, I would love to send, you know, my holistic nootropics listeners your way. If there's anywhere people could follow you online, learn more about you, work with you, get some of your books, uh, just indulge in your content. Where would you send people? Yeah. Thank you, Eric. It's been a, a pleasure. Um, really enjoyed the collaboration. I love what you're doing. So thanks for it's I'm honored to be on your show and, and, and introduce me to your audience. So thank you for that. Uh, best place probably is to go listen to my podcast, the keto camp podcast, which is an easy transition from yours. We're available on all podcast platforms. Just keep in mind camp is spelled with the K. So it's keto camp camp with the K keto camp podcast. We're also on YouTube. We've got a big YouTube channel, keto camp on YouTube. If you want to just uh, look me up on any social media platform, I'll show up. It's Ben Azadi, or just go to benazadi.com and we'll put all that in one place for you. So that's where you could find me. I'm very accessible. I'd love to hear if you enjoyed the episode. And if you did leave the show, a rating and review on Apple podcast. That's right. You heard it first from the man, the myth, the legend, Ben Azadi from the keto camp. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. And listener, viewer, if you enjoyed the podcast, follow Ben on all his platforms. Leave us a nice review on Apple iTunes. And if you're new to the channel, take a few hours, binge yourself on through the old Holistic Nootropics Library. And until next time, peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com. 